Hello and welcome to episode 101 of the Reds Unrestricted Podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Chris Coughlin to react to the win against Spurs, the Champions League draw and today's big news about FSG. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Yeah, so not much to discuss on, on this week's podcast. I guess we'll go in a chronological order as we try and digest it all. We thought we'd be spending the whole episode talking about Liverpool's 2-1 victory over Spurs on Sunday. But as it turns out, we'll only be able to devote about a third of it um, to that game. So, Chris, I think what we'll do is we'll talk about the result first of all and then a little bit about the performance. So, Liverpool now have beaten one of their top four rivals away from home, closed in on some of their other rivals who had bad weekends. Um, How significant is that? Hi, Dave. Massive, massive, really, I think, because overall, it it was a game that you could look at going into it. Whilst you see the win of a Manchester City, of course, it gives you kind of the confidence to think Liverpool really can go at these kind of teams. The win of a Napoli as well, of course, in midweek. There's the thought of Nottingham Forest and Leeds kind of hanging in the back of your mind and you're thinking that this could really be quite a devastating blow to Liverpool. Not even if they didn't, you know, only if they didn't win the game, never mind, didn't lose the game. Uh, not winning the game would have been a major, major dent because at the same time, Spurs would have kept their advantage. It wouldn't really have capitalised on defeats for Chelsea and Manchester United. And overall, I think that, that first 45 minutes, barring a spell or two that Tottenham had, was arguably the best that Liverpool have played this entire season so far. I thought they were really, really good, especially down the left-hand side. Andy Robertson had an absolute field day. I thought he was really, really good in that first 45 minutes, especially. And it was a bit of a reverse of what we have been seeing, of Liverpool not starting particularly well and then maybe getting a little bit better in the second half to being really, really good in the first and somewhat sitting off in the second half, which invited Spurs on. And Spurs, you know, they've had two good comebacks in the last week. So they, they're not unfamiliar to being in such a position. But it was really good from Liverpool perspective to at least hang on, although there were more than a few hairy moments. And it's just the feeling going into the World Cup that Liverpool, again, even without the likes of Diaz and Jota, really are a match for teams at the top end of the Premier League. And it's kind of set up. Be nice to get through against Derby County, albeit with expected rotation, and then Southampton to make it two Premier Leagues in a row going into the World Cup, which will make the world of difference. So uh, we've been there before this season, but potentially a very important result in the long term. And of course, Liverpool's first victory away from home in the Premier League this season at, at their last opportunity before the World Cup. So on the performance side, obviously Liverpool started the game well, as you mentioned there. First half performance was very good. But we see, I think, three elements of Liverpool being lucky in that game. Number one is the circumstance of the second goal. Eric Dyer makes a mistake and granted Mo Salah punishes him in brilliant fashion. Number two, you have contentious penalty decisions, two or three of them, that go in Liverpool's favour. And you can look at all of those and say, you know what, fair enough not to give a penalty for them. But when they're verging on 50-50 and there's three of them, and you get all of them, then I think you do have to you know, be a little bit grateful for that. And the last one, I'd say, is the mischances that Tottenham had, as you mentioned there, you know, could easily 
have drawn that game, certainly in the second half. So in light of all of that, and accepting, like I said, that the performance in the first half was actually really good, how do we view this victory? Do we look at it as Liverpool were fortunate? And as in the case of previous wins this season, it's disguising issues maybe, and there's still cause for concern. Or do we say, you know what? It's right before the World Cup. We've gone to a top four rival. We've won. When we're in this difficult situation, if we to get this before the World Cup reset that we have available to us is possibly a big bonus. And we just really focus on those three points and not worry too much about the problems that were there in the performance. It's a question that we've asked a few times this season, but how do you see it in this particular instance? It definitely here's a question that we've asked before. I think it's an element of both, to be honest, because you've got to, you've got to apply the fortune. Eric Dyer's header is perfect in the path of Salah, although it's a great finish and it was great to see him back on form and he's hit a real purple patch in the last few weeks now. I think you look at it, I think Gary Neville said on his podcast, nine in the last eight now for Salah. So there's the feeling that he's getting back in the goal scoring groove, which is brilliant to see getting into the central areas that we mentioned on a few podcasts to go. The penalty shouts, the Trent Alexander-Arnold on the session, you have to say the arm is out, the arm is extended, which leads towards, for me, being a little bit beyond 50-50, but it's the decisions that you get, isn't it? It's, it's, do you look at it and say it was a clear and obvious error by the referee? And I think that's why it didn't get reviewed, because it's just just before the border of clear and obvious, albeit there is an extension of the arm from Trent Alexander-Arnold. The one with Canate and Harry Kane, not in a million years is that penalty. And actually... We've seen Harry Kane do it before. It's undeniable that he gets his body in front of the defender and tries to initiate the contact. But ultimately, has he not kicked Canate in this scenario? Um, which amazed me to hear suggestions about being a penalty. When you look at the chances Tottenham missed, I think that is where the concern does come in. Because ultimately, it's down to the, those chances not being taken by the home side, isn't it? You know, Perisic, again, it's fortunate the way it comes off Allison onto the post, but the second one from Perisic, 99 times out of 100, he probably gets that on target. And then by the nature of Allison going down, it's a goal. So it was undoubtedly an element of fortune there. Still trying to figure out how the flick near the end didn't find the Spurs player at the far post. It's quite remarkable that that didn't get smuggled in at the far post, to be honest. But, you know, from Liverpool's perspective, you more than take that. And there are concerns, you, you you quite rightly allude to that, because ultimately, chances are being conceded. And you don't want to even be conceding chances, because obviously they can lead to goals. I think, from a Liverpool perspective, it's just get in there, get the points, get out. And you can maybe overanalyze a few performances, but ultimately, yes, chances were conceded, but Liverpool took the chances that mattered and in their own favour and came away with, with a great result. I got... A couple of people criticised me on Twitter when I said the things about us being fortunate. And I kind of get that because there has been so much pain this season that when there is a win, especially a win of that magnitude, you know, I can understand why people are just inclined to, to celebrate it. And I think another element is, you know, you can talk about the decisions and obviously there was the one as well at the end with uh, Thiago and the potential high boost on Lucas Moura. You can look at them and say, well, yes, maybe there was a little bit of good fortune there, but also last season, 
bad refereeing cost of a pool in this fixture. So maybe it's one of them where things come back around. I just think it's important to remain balanced. And as you navigate the highs and lows of a season, which obviously this season have been pretty stark disparity between those two, you've got to kind of maybe try and find that middle ground, see where Liverpool are actually at. But yeah, certainly um, a very big result. It feels like one that puts us within two points of Chelsea and, and four of Manchester United. But we'll move it on to the Champions League draw now that took place this morning. And Liverpool obviously coming up against Real Madrid with the first leg at Anfield on February the 21st, which is a Tuesday, and then the second leg on March the 15th, the Wednesday. So, Chris, reaction to that one. Was it the worst draw Liverpool could possibly have got? Yes. <laughs> Got to be honest, haven't we? Um, uh, in, in the last few years, you know, I've looked at Real and before last season, even when Liverpool lost to them in the quarterfinals in 2020-2021, I wasn't particularly impressed by that Real Madrid team. I wasn't particularly overawed by them. Vinicius Junior got two that night, and I looked at I looked at his stats immediately after for the season as a whole, and he'd actually had quite a poor campaign. It had to be said, and yes, this was a young lad. There was a lot of hype about him, but he was a player that I'd heard of, but I watched and wasn't overly impressed with. And then last season, you see him going and get forty goals and assists contributions, which is just phenomenal, really, for a player of his age, not particularly playing as a striker, playing as part of a, a front three, but his pace is absolutely petrifying. And I'm looking forward to seeing him in the World Cup alongside Neymar and Rodrigo, of course, also of Real Madrid. I suppose you could look at it a few ways, couldn't you? I mean, it is the worst draw that Liverpool could have got. I think even, I know Bayern Munich have just got back to the top of the Bundesliga, but certainly domestically, they haven't been firing on all cylinders. I know they've, I know they won all of their group games as Bayern Munich. You know, they almost took a pride in doing that. I think it's two years in a row now they've won all six group games. But I would have still thought Liverpool had a good chance against Bayern Munich. We saw when Liverpool went on to win the Champions League in 2019, they got Bayern Munich in the round of 16 and were amazing at the Allianz. That's one of the best away displays under Jurgen Klopp. And what alternative, alternatively, Dave, do you think from a Real Madrid perspective, could it be a case of Liverpool being the worst draw they could have got? Because we're all sat here saying Real Madrid are you know, was the worst option Liverpool could have got, and I've taken you know, take no shame in that. You know, they're the defending European champions. They're one of the best teams in world football. Of course, they are. Liverpool could have got even Fede Valverde in midfield. I'm putting him alongside De Bruyne in terms of the best midfielders in the world right now. But from a, Real, from a Real Madrid perspective, could there be a case of we did not want Liverpool? That's definitely a fair point. I mean, just to look through the groups, the, the only other team that comes close to Liverpool, I'd say, in terms of notoriety, would be PSG. Um, and, you know, people can kind of argue over which of those two is a more difficult draw. Right now, you probably would say PSG is a bit more difficult. Obviously, they've ended up coming up against Bayern. And to kind of stick maybe with that positive angle, obviously a lot of Liverpool fans will look at this and say another opportunity for revenge. Also, be a lot of Liverpool fans who are tired of bullishly predicting revenge against Real Madrid now, given <laughs> what's happened in the last few meetings. So I don't know what your stance is on that. But also, we've got an interesting dynamic here, and it's similar to that Bayern tie that you referenced 
1819. Liverpool actually at home for the first leg of that one and then had to go to the Allianz Arena and, and get the job done, essentially. How does that change the, the dynamics in this particular tie? Because Liverpool haven't had the chance to play Real Madrid in front of a full Anfield while Klopp's been manager. But also, they then have to go to whatever happens in that first leg and the atmosphere will presumably be incredible. We're one of the best of Klopp's whole reign. They've got to go to the, the Bernabeu then and defend a leader, even if they are able to build one up against Real Madrid. Very good questions. <laughs> I think, you know, Anfield, it, it, it's funny, isn't it? We, we talk about all the big teams, Paris Saint-Germain, Bayern Munich, Barcelona, of those European pedigree. And even the likes of Porto and Benfica, who are massive clubs in their own right, Ajax as well. Real Madrid is almost really... I know you mean, you're looking maybe Juventus, Inter Milan, th- th- those kind of teams, but although obviously it was Inter Milan last year as well, so maybe Juventus is the only one kind of missing from the list, um, just in terms of the big, big European teams to face Anfield under Jurgen Klopp. And it's an atmosphere that will be incredible. Um, I think when you saw the options of Benfica, who are a very good side this year, by the way, Porto won their group. Um, by Munich, of course, and Real Madrid. There was never going to be a simplistic type of Liverpool. I know people would say, oh, Liverpool will get Porto again because they always get Porto. But Porto are improving year on year as well. And they, they did really well to top their Champions League group this year. And ultimately, in the Champions League, you're very rarely going to face an easy opponent, aren't you? I know people could, again, throw in about Villarreal last year, for example, in the semi-final and would a team ever face as weak an opposition as that at that stage of the competition? But Villarreal still took a 2-0 lead in the second leg and Liverpool have to do really well to fight back and get through to the final. In terms of the whole revenge element, I think you can risk being drawn on that, to be honest, because, again, I saw the Redmen TV tweet today saying, be quiet, Mo, or keep quiet, Mo. Because, of course, it was the stuff about him wanting Real Madrid in the final last year. I think he thought himself it was almost a bit of a you know, poetic sense to get his own back on Real Madrid after what happened in Kiev in, 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 20, in 2018. I think I don't, I don't like to look at things as, as revenge because ultimately games like that, look, they're, they're, they've been and gone. And ultimately, this isn't revenge. Because if it was revenge, Liverpool would be playing Real Madrid in the final. Surely, with a chance of winning the competition. But if they get past Real Madrid, they've got another three stages to go. So, I'm not looking at it as a revenge aspect. I don't know if, if you are uh, yourself, Dave. But you know, you're facing the, the creme de la creme of European football. Ro- European royalty in the dugout. European royalty all over the pitch. And you're seeing whether you can still call them the Galacticos. I'm not sure because I think they're moving towards more of a team ethic than a Galacticos ethic. And I think that's really serving Real Madrid really, really well at the moment. Um, at the time of recording, they're playing uh, I think Real Baracano tonight. So it'll be very interesting to see how they get on in that match. But of course, then you've got over three months until play Real Madrid. And obviously a World Cup sandwich in the middle of all that. So plenty can happen between now and then. And Luis Diaz and Diogo Jota as well. It's important to remember they could well be back time for that and we may see transfer activity in January we we don't know yet at this stage so there's plenty of of twists and things to add to any sort of plot for 
Liverpool versus Real Madrid. But at the start, initial reaction was, it's the Champions League and you've got to embrace these exciting kind of ties. For me, a lot of it is going to come down to Liverpool believing they can beat Real Madrid. Yeah. What's happened in, in the last sort of four meetings will have created even more of a mystique around that team. And that's what Liverpool need to overcome. And that could be almost um, the defining challenge in terms of like an intangible, uh, the intangible aspect of it. And obviously on top of that, you've got the fact that Real Madrid are probably alongside Man City as the best team in Europe. Right? And obviously reigning champions of Europe and um, they do look very, very strong. So if Liverpool can overcome them, then you feel like it'll, it'll be sort of maybe them and Man City at that point who you'd look at. But like you say, Chris, you know, a long time till that tie and plenty more time for us to discuss it and see how things evolve in that period. But yeah, that leads us on nicely, I suppose, to the, the last thing we want to discuss, which again might be a bit of a long-running um, saga in the next few months. So news broke today uh, via David Ornstein from The Athletic that FSG are inviting offers um, to buy Liverpool. Essentially, it could be a minority stake in the club, so FSG would still be the sort of majority owners where we just have more investment from elsewhere, or it could be somebody else assuming full control so, Chris, are you excited by the possibility of an ownership change? Are you apprehensive as to who might end up owning Liverpool at the end of all this? Or are you sort of keeping your feet firmly on the ground in both respects and just thinking you wait to see how it pans out and not convincing yourself yet that Liverpool might be about to change hands? I'm very much, um, as you say, seeing how it comes, to be honest. But the, the first thing I want to say is I'm absolutely not someone who is FSG out. Um, I've got a lot of respect for FSG. I remember how they effectively saved the club in 2010 and I think that can be easily forgotten on a lot of people given that, of course, you know, they say, oh, where, where's, the, where's the £100 million signing? Where's the £150 million signing? And, and all these kind of things. But football, for the by and large, doesn't really work like that. And you, you've only got a select amount of clubs that can chuck money around like it's nothing. And yes, Liverpool have made big signings. At no point have any of us ever denied that. But they've always had to work within their own means, which Liverpool have made a concerted effort to do. And I'll never be someone who dislikes dislikes FSG, you know, um, wants them out as soon as possible. Absolutely not, because I believe they deserve a lot of credit for how they have built the club up, how they have stabilised the club, how they've made the club a force. I know the season hasn't started particularly well, but you can't, still can't deny Liverpool are a very, very good football team. And a lot of that wouldn't be possible without FSG and the help that they've given the club. In terms of reading into it, it was interesting, wasn't it? Because the headline was FSG put Liverpool for sale and immediately we all open our eyes and think, what? Is it, what? And then you read into it and it would appear whether the statement has come after the story broke or the statement is part of the story itself, saying that they invite investment along the lines of shareholders, um, FSC stays committed to Liverpool Football Club. It would appear it's not a total sale, 
which is what I am kind of reading between the lines of. I, I, I'm not sure if, if, if you're the same on that, Dave. Um, but I think FSG, you know, they've, they've, they've transformed Liverpool's whole ethos of the club in terms of certainly the valuation as well. It's, it's absolutely flown up since FSG took over and then the success that they brought to the club as well. Of course, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to ignore the, some serious own goals that have happened along the way. We look at the, the £77 ticket that got quickly finished off, the whole Super League debacle, which got knocked on the head quicker than it rose up. Um, and it was important that, in terms of FSG, understanding that that wasn't the way the club's fan base wanted to go. And look, John Henry then did a video on it and, and, and approached the fans on that front, wasn't, didn't he? So I think things like that do have to be remembered in, in several ways. But yeah, I think when, when you see something like that, just because you see a lot of owners nowadays not maybe mistreat clubs, and ultimately, I don't want Liverpool mistreated. And if there are any concerns, that would be the concern of, look, it's all well and good saying get someone in with the, the, the money of the world to spend, but we also want the club treated right from the top down. And I think that's why we'll see what happens in the coming months. But that was my initial reaction of not particularly putting my foot in either camp at the moment. I mean, just to pick up, first of all, on that area to clarify, based on what I've read on The Athletic today, FSG would still retain at least some stake yeah. in, in the actual football club. Um, one thing I want to touch on, though, before we finish up is the possibility now, given the value of Liverpool as as an asset, that Liverpool is the target of, let's say, people who would use a, a football club as a sports-washing instrument. Um and obviously, there's going to be a debate about that within the fan base, depending on how this one pans out. I personally think that that is under no circumstances acceptable. And if Liverpool are to be used in the same way as Man City, Newcastle and PSG, then I'll feel incredibly disillusioned and almost be tempted to... It would feel like football had been had been ruined at that point for me, um, beyond repair. Like it's it's a banger by a thread now in some respects. That would be a, a bit of a finisher. So Chris, I want I want your take on that. Obviously, it's it's all let me stress strictly hypothetical for now, but I feel like it's something that is inevitably going to be discussed at this stage, especially when everything is so up in the air. Um, and also, do you think that fans will have a voice in the process because we saw moves towards that? after the Super League, um, the creation of a supporters board, for example, will the fans be able to to wield influence to, to protest they don't like whoever the owner might be? Um, or will their authority just be reduced to maybe less significant masses? I hope so. I hope the fans have a voice because I think that's a really important factor. I think it's really, really important for the fans to have a say in what happens at the club because ultimately the fans are the biggest part, in my opinion. Um, I get what you mean with regards to the ownership because I think, am I right in saying Liverpool's around three billion now? Or it's it, it even shot up in value. Even more than that, I think, actually. I'm yeah, just going to yeah. try and find the figure I saw earlier, actually, because um, it was it struck me it was actually more than um, what Chelsea was selling for earlier this year. 
Um, so yeah, a uh, head the head of sports analysis at Global Data um, told the Athletic that the sale of Liverpool could be four point three six billion. Apparently, wow, wow. So the one thing you do have to say in that is it, it narrows it down, doesn't it? In terms of yeah. who's actually able to afford. Um, the club as a whole, for one, but as we lead, as we're led to believe, it, it's more it might be more stakeholders that this is kind of aimed at. Um, but I I agree with Dave, and I know a lot of people might point the, the morale. Maybe does morale go out the window when clubs become successful and, and things like that? But for me, again, it, I I want Liverpool Football Club to be treated well, and I want the people around Liverpool Football Club to be treated well. And I, I agree with you in that something just wouldn't feel right if, of course, ownership fell into the wrong hands, wherever those wrong hands may be. And I think that is where the fans will And, of course, Joe Blott from the spill of Shankly, he, he's really passionate on the element of fans having a say in the matter. And I think that's really, really important going forward as well in terms of putting the points across and... The owners understand that now because I think that the Super League really did change a corner in terms of how some clubs are running in this country in terms of fans having much more of a voice. So I totally understand what you mean. And of course, I kind of repeat myself with it, but the amount of money that Liverpool are now worth, it does narrow it down in terms of who's able to invest in the club. But, you know, we'll, we'll very much see what happens over next few months but as long as it's in the best interests Liverpool Football Club and Liverpool Football Club worldwide then I would like to think it's a good thing going forward Yeah for me it comes down to this the new owners have to be people who fit with the values of the football club it's as simple as that Yes and abs- that, absolutely and that's the values of the fans in terms of their sort of social values but also you know in terms of maybe the areas where FSG went wrong and we certainly wouldn't want we essentially don't want owners like Man City have or Man United have, and obviously they've got their own different problems. Um, and be interested to see what the implications are, obviously, of this change, not only for Liverpool's source of transfer activity, if indeed there is a change of ownership or a high level of investment, but also in terms of what it might mean for, for Jürgen Klopp and his future. But yeah, that yeah. is going to wrap us up for this episode. We'll obviously keep abreast of every single development on that score over the next few months, whatever happens. And yet we will see you later this week to reflect on the Carabao Cup game against Derby. But until then, take care.